what is your responsibility? How might you feel comfortable to take up this work? To be able to advocate with and for First Nations, Métis, Inuit peoples. There's so many things going on right now, but there's also direct solutions that can also happen too. But as long as you're treating people with respect, with love, with humility, with compassion, empathy, care, you're set in a good way. You're listening to the Talking 20 podcast. This podcast is for you if you're in your 20s and you're thinking, what the hell am I doing? We've all been there and we want to talk about it. We're your hosts, Bridget O'Rourke and Mary Margaret Courtney, and we sit down with fellow millennials to chat about their journey and hear what they've learned along the way. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking 20 podcast. This is part two of the episode, How to Take Progressive Action Towards Reconciliation, where we sit down with Madeline McCracken to have a gentle conversation about the truth of Canada's legacy and what it means to take action towards reconciliation in the ways of advocacy and education. If you didn't listen to part one, here's what you need to know. Madeline is 24 years old and recently learned that she is Métis. Her mother was not raised practicing the Métis culture because it was at a point in history that it was dangerous to do so. She is now on her self-learning journey alongside her family to reconnect with her community and reclaim her culture. After being a teacher for a few years, Madeline became aware of the lack of knowledge that other teachers have on Indigenous history, which is problematic because they're the ones teaching the Indigenous curriculum. Madeline, having a solution-based mindset, took the responsibility to get her master's in teaching so that she could learn how to teach teachers how to properly and respectfully share Indigenous perspectives in the curriculum. She is now moving on to get her PhD to research how reconciliation-based nonprofits are supporting educators doing this work as well. Now that you're up to speed, before we start, I want to give a content warning for the following episode as we do talk about the recent residential school discoveries, which may be triggering for some. All right, let's get started. What a time to be, you know, studying Indigenous history and education because the topic is so important and so relevant right now with all of these recent uh, discoveries that have happened across Canada, which is horrible. But I'm curious to know, how have these discoveries impacted your day-to-day life at work? You know, these are kids that could have been knowledge keepers in communities. These are kids that could have been doctors, nurses, teachers. They could have been someone that could have again supported community in these ways and would have kept aspects of their cultures going in beautiful ways so that their kids could also feel proud to be who they are that they could be celebrated so it not only integrates within my work it integrates with who I am and why I'm doing exactly what I'm doing to this day and I think understanding that these aren't just numbers, like these are, these are children, like these are children who had families and who had lives to live that they deserved to live. So it's major. These discoveries are major and they are continuously ongoing. And I think with the TRC, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, With one of their reports, they only stated about 3,000 kids um, with the unmarked graves. That's all that they would probably find. This number has now exceeded 6,000. And it hasn't even scraped how many residential schools and also boarding schools. Because with these numbers, we're not just including what has been found in what is called Canada. We're also including what has been found and who have been found in the United States as well. 
So these are all of our kids. These are all of our communities. And we're grieving. We're going through a lot right now. And I know for me, yes, I'm not directly connected in a way, but this still deeply affects who who my community is too with being in St. Laurent, Manitoba. I know that there's folks who were scooped up. I know that there were family members distant again from the Chartrand blind who were also scooped up. So it's scary. And now when we think about the residential schools, this stuff is still happening in what is now the, the welfare system, the overrepresentation of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit children in care. And that is almost the new residential school. These are kids being scooped up from, again, communities um, because their lives aren't proper in community. And that's why that they're going into care in these welfare systems so that another non-Indigenous family can take on the responsibility of raising, you know, Indigenous kids. It's heavily problematic. And there's even survivors to this day who are millennial scoop survivors going through this process through the foster system who don't know who they are because they were taken from their family yet again. So this stuff is still happening right now, right here and now. And that's why we wear the orange shirt. And that's why I have my pin here too, just to remind me with this conversation of what this, what this means. And what this means for me, what this means for our conversation today, and all this information I'm giving you, even in this way, this is all available. This is all stuff that has been and will be continuously talked about, not just by me, but other First Nations meeting Inuit advocates. Um, even influencers talk about this too, like Notorious Cree, for example, like he goes on this journey of talking about this quite a bit, but he does it with a gorgeous way of through dance and, and his, his dancing. So I think that's, that's healing watching him even do this work. It's gorgeous. Um, but also the land. Um, so Thielen Kiknaw's way, and he's, he's located in, in um, uh, unceded Algonquin territory too. He's absolutely wonderful too, with being able to take up these conversations and this work. So, but also again, through dancing. So there's, there's actually quite a bit of healing that happens through dance. But again, that's another conversation with maybe another person who, who would be able to share a lot with that. Because for me, we have jigging in the Métis community. We got jigging. It's fun. Like I've learned like a couple things. <laughs> But I'm definitely not at a place for competition or anything like that. It's just more so <laughs> fun. <laughs> they do competitions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's competitions, too. And it's it's quite cool. Um, fiddling as well. Yeah. Fiddling is very um, Métis. Um, but, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff with, with my community even and things that I'm learning as well on this journey. It inspires me and it keeps me motivated to do what I'm doing. So, yeah, it directly... In, it impacts who I am, my work, but also knowing that there's things that just need to change. And I think it's just bringing that to the attention of everyone, that things need to change and everyone's accountable for this too. 
Do you find that more people are more willing to learn now and willing to take action now that all of this has been brought to light? Yeah, absolutely. Like for you two to even feel comfortable to hold this conversation with me just shows to me like, yeah, there's there's things that's happening. And, and I think that's absolutely wonderful and important. Um, I think with this work too, it's, it's really choosing who's also going to be open to talking about this. Um, not choosing, but like just knowing who, who is going to be open to talk about this and who, who wants to talk about it. Because again, like this can be very diff these are difficult conversations. So ensuring that again, safety, um, is, is there is really important too safe spaces, trauma-informed approaches as well, just ensuring that folks are really keeping these in mind as they are holding these conversations, if they do choose to do so, if they're not doing this work through oneself. Um, yeah, it's, it's really important to, to ensure that these approaches are, are um, being, uh, being done. Yeah, conducted. You know what's yeah. so interesting is um, I'm having like a revelation on the spot because – I knew coming into this conversation today what what might, you know, some of the struggles I might have with it, what my barriers are, what I need to be more open to, doing some more reading, doing some more learning, even just learning more about your story. Bridget did the same thing. She had different barriers. She had different roadblocks. She was, you know, we talked to each other about, like, what's our comfort level with this, what's not. And it, it's tricky ground for anyone to walk on right now, but the revelation I'm having now and kind of had earlier was when Bridge and I were talking about it, we were talking about past experiences the two of us have had where we may have been challenged back for what we said and it didn't go well. And in fairness, and Madeline, you got, and I, last time we talked, we spoke at this, people are hurting and you just said it. People are grieving. They're going through a lot and they deserve that. And we may be a representation of why they hurt. And that's tricky because when you and I are sitting here talking, it's Madeline and Mary and Bridget. Bridget and Mary didn't hurt Madeline, but there is generational trauma. And if that's still a very new thing that people are learning about. Um, but today we were like, okay, we have questions and we want to ask her, but we don't want to put this on Madeline to just like teach us these things. But also you're an educator and what a good person to like ask because you're so open to discuss. But we also want to learn about the other parts of your life and being because you're you're so dimensional as a human and we were running through all this and all of a sudden we come to this like let's just talk about Madeline's story and even just in what you're sharing about your life I have so much more attachment because I know you I'm learning just from your journey man if we can find those relationships with people and not like you said say like you need to teach me because you're the one with the knowledge it's like finding the ways to ask with that open mind and and keeping in mind that trauma and keeping in the mind that hurt and everything in the world right now I just keep saying to people like bring it back to the person you're looking in the whites of that person's eyes bring it back to their feelings and your feelings and be honest with them be dead honest with what those feelings are because I don't want to hurt you, Madeline, but by having this conversation, I might, knowing what you're going through and learning. And it just takes that awareness to like stop and maybe not have so many arguments or debates on like who's right, who's wrong. Uh, we 
Adam Grant, logic bully. Let's get away from being logic bullies and and look at the people around us and why they're hurting and how do we help them stop hurting. And um, so, yeah, it's like this weird revelation. I was like, it took doing this interview with you for me to learn more what I can do. And I think it is by asking to hear more stories and hear journeys. I'm just sitting with that. I, I, I actually really just appreciate that because I think that's that's what people are almost so afraid to do is to build that relationship because they might think that they're doing it wrong or that they might offend or that they might come with, you know, almost this baggage of, of understanding, you know, yeah, I know I'm a white person, but... I want to learn and I and I feel like I'm at a place to learn. And that's really important to to be able to even acknowledge. I think that's almost one of the first steps to mm-hmm. do is to really see where you, where you are and putting away um, any kind of ego, just ditching ego to the curb, just really coming with who you are, your whole self, what who I am to, you know, to you, Bridget, who I am to you, Mary Margaret, and vice versa, to Mary Margaret to me, Bridget to me, and Bridget to Mary Margaret. Like, you know, like this is all a relational aspect of what we can do for each other. This is friendship. This is, you know, this is relationality. This is what it means. There's a beautiful guiding work that I really love and I'm just gonna share it um because yeah, it inspires me but it also motivates me but I know that it also places more of an understanding for folks who might not be indigenous but also still want to be supporting you know First Nations, Métis, Inuit peoples being through either land back or through Um, what we might be going through in regards to uh, land saving, especially with the forest right now in British Columbia, where there's logging industries that are wanting to cut down like 400-year-old trees, and that's just not okay. So there's so many things that are actually ongoing, even where there's a pipeline number three that folks are wanting to build too. And that's directly on first nations land. So, you know, like there's these things that continue to happen that continue to suppress suppressing voices relating back to even the student union conversation. It's always about power and suppression, power, suppression, power, suppression. How do we build something? How do we do something for capitalism? What are we going to get out of it? Right. Anyways, that's, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. So I would actually encourage folks to, to follow uh, social media channels that really talk about this and share what's actually happening on the front lines too. Um, Wet'suwet'en Checkpoint is actually one of, the, one of the social media places I like to tune into just to hear what's going on and how I can be even a good ally to my, you know, in relations like what what can I do how can I support you know what does this actually mean for me in these spaces as well so yeah that's that's now connecting back to ethical relationality and what it means to really be a good um a good I don't want to necessarily say um like ally either because I don't know if it's really about allyship but I think it's more about 
what it means to be a good neighbor, what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a good individual within your own life, not just to me. You owe nothing to me. You owe nothing to First Nations, Métis, Inuit people. But what do you owe to yourself? And what do you want to do for yourself in relation to these folks who might be going through difficult capacities right now? So it still is important to acknowledge where everyone's at in this work. So, so going to the, to the sharing, it's by uh, uh, Dwayne Donald, uh, Dr. Dwayne Donald. He's a university professor at the University of Alberta. He's, uh, he's at uh, Papache's uh, Cree, and he's just a wonderful individual, and I, I just appreciate his work so much. So what he talks about is ethical relationality. And how it's more so of a responsibility of relationships to each other once you build them, once you have them, what that might mean. Unpacking histories, unpacking each other's stories. And you, you touched on that too, Mary Margaret, too, about the importance of stories, asking folks for their stories. But really, that just means who they are. And if someone's willing to share it, they'll share who they are, you know, and, and then you just so happen to get stories from it. And that's just yeah. gorgeous. Um, so if, you know, if they feel safe and comfortable to do so, uh, for, for us holding this conversation, I feel safe and comfortable to do so. So I am, um, which thankful for, by the way. Um, and so what he goes on to say too, is within this ethic, because it is almost an ethic because there's a place of honoring what each other has gone through. And then respecting each other for who they are as they navigate this world together. So what does that mean? That means what does it mean to learn anything? Like what is your responsibility? How might you feel comfortable to take up this work? Um, to be able to advocate with and for First Nations, Métis, Inuit peoples. There's so many things going on right now. But there's also direct solutions that can also happen too, like writing to your MPs. There's an election coming up, didn't you hear? So there's like aspects that folks should be considering and how they might also vote. Um, so there's so many things that individuals can do. And this isn't just about teachers to, to, to their students either. These are like Canadians what mm -hmm. does it mean to be a Canadian? What does it mean with this national identity? Um, understanding that there's nations, nations, sovereign nations um, that are not Canadians. You know, First Nations folks are not Canadians, um, especially understanding that, too. Um, I think with being Métis and being Inuit, there's different, you know, conversations ongoing to what it means for, for us to even be Canadian. I even have a difficult identity crisis of what it means for me to be Canadian. You know, like there's even conversations that we're also having too. And what this might mean for us as well as our ways of also moving forward too. So, you know, there's just, there's quite a lot going on. But as long as you're treating people with respect, with love, also again, ego to the curb, with humility, with compassion, empathy, care, you're set in a good way, I think. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're bringing that to the table, especially with building relations with me, for example, we're good. It's also identifying your fear 
and we can cut this out, but Bridget, I'm just going to call you out a bit. Like earlier you were, you were said, you're like, I'm scared to do this because you've had an experience that made you feel uncomfortable. And I said to her, like, are you a bad person? And as a joke, she said, yes. But I was like, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. She was like, are you ever, I said, are you ever trying to hurt someone's feelings when you have these conversations? And obviously she's not. And I was like, then lead with that. And if anyone ever gets offended, stop. I don't know if I said this part to you, but I've said this to other people. Stop and say like, I'm sorry. I very much, I'm, I just didn't know what I was saying and I didn't know how harmful that was. Bridget's not a bad person. She shouldn't have that fear. I have like a complex within me that allows me to just ignore all those voices in my head and say like, fuck you, I didn't mean to make that mistake. But I can understand in Bridget's situation, she's such a compassionate person and wants everyone to feel safe and comfortable at all times. And she doesn't want to be the person in that seat that made you feel otherwise. But in the world of cancel culture, where not everyone is you, like Madeline, you're so welcoming and open and I'm already like, I just feel amazing about, I want to put this out right now. That's it. <laughs> like, That's it. I want people to hear this and, and yeah, kick their ego to the curb, but recognize your fear and maybe just approach it in a different way. Thank you for sharing that on, on behalf of Bridget too. I hope that's okay, <laughs> Bridget. Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Like, I think that's important because I think, you know, when it's, when it's coming from fear, like I, I understand, I get it. I, I understand it right now, especially, but at the same time too, there's this importance of sitting with one's discomfort and actually acknowledging what does this discomfort actually mean for me? Like, why do mm-hmm. I feel this way? Like what's going on? Like, you know, and, and it's, yeah. <laughs> And I encourage that too. I do. I think that's also a really important step to take uh, for this like self-process. Some introspection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone's journey is going to be so different through all this, right? Oh yeah. Everyone's, everyone's journey is unique. Like it's, there's not one right way to, yeah. you know, if we're really connecting to what truth and reconciliation might mean for everyone, like everyone's process and journey, even to truth, to reconciliation as what they might mean as words individually is also going to be different too. So it's, you know. I have a question about this because my mom also brought up truth and reconciliation and that's her world. So she's always up to do on the things that are going on uh, for mental health and people's overall well-being. What, where does this come from? Is this, is truth and reconciliation like a new key phrase or umbrella thing that's been created for a conversation I think you said is it like a board or a committee like what where is this coming from this this truth and reconciliation keyword right so in 2015 um the truth and reconciliation commission of Canada so they're actually run out of the University of Manitoba which is on treaty one territory So with these conversations that were held in order for reports that we now see to actionize were released, were created with and by survivors of the residential schooling system. So with what we are now seeing and what truth and reconciliation means is honoring the survivors that shared their stories so courageously. Again, they did not have to do that, but they did that because they knew it would help. They knew that, okay, someone's going to listen and someone's actually going to change something here because we, we know that there's issues with what's going on in education, with curriculum, 
with how teachers might be taking up this work uh, if they're not doing so in good ways. So with this understanding of where, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where they came from, the reports when they were released, which was in 2015, we are now in 2021, and these conversations are still taking place to, to this day because of what and who has been found in regards to the, the, the kids. They're coming home. That's what we're saying in community, too. They're coming back home to us. Like, their spirits have finally been released, you know, and they're going over to the spirit world officially. So it's, it's honoring their journey, but it's honoring our journey because of them. And it's really ensuring that kids today never experience what happened again. And really ensuring that this is by far and around all the systems that are at play. This is regards to religious institutions as they did play a major piece here in regards to the residential schools. This also plays mm -hmm. a key um, accountability to the government of Canada and also to the RCMP and also to the police bodies because they were the ones to go into communities to take the kids as well. So there is a lot of places of accountability and finger pointing and such. But what is also really important with doing that is acknowledging accountability and what might this mean for folks moving forward and how, if they wish to, to work with communities to repair, reconcile these relationships. What does that actually mean? It's not our responsibility for folks to come to us and we are reconciliation relationships to other folks who come to us. No, no. It is communities. It is the police bodies. It is the uh, religious bodies and also the government bodies coming to us, to our communities, to reconcile these relationships and what this might mean. So that's how I view reconciliation, but it's the truth. And that's what is now being released. It is the truth of everything and there's folks who are denying the residential schools like folks are actually saying no this never happened even still to this day which is extremely it is unfathomable really? like I I can't mm. believe that this is still happening and there's this religious body in Edmonton that that just had that again on Treaty 6 territory that just had that happen so yeah this is still happening there's still people who are just like not understanding the deep pain and trauma our communities are going through and how real it is too so you know it's 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 hard it is hard to do this work um it is hard for folks to better understand what's actually going on because they're almost shielding their eyes away from it because of being just naive at this point i don't even know what the words are for it because it's extremely problematic and it doesn't help anyone and it's, it's just harmful. It's harmful. And people can believe that too. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that can, that can be done for folks who are not naysayers and actually believe what is going on because these are our community's truths and the survivors didn't share their voices for no reason. They did this for a purpose. They wanted their truths mm -hmm. to get out. And this is why the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 
created the calls to action as well, being 94 of them. Primarily with education, mm-hmm. I focus on number 62 and 63. They guide me within my work. But when I did, you know, thinking about education for like the public servants too, that's called action number 57. They have to be educated on this, but not only public servants, but also uh, religious beings. Uh, also, there's there's so many different aspects of it that I actually encourage everyone to read too. And and there's there's also um, accessible versions of it too online that folks can also read <laughs> if they you know if, you know because I'm also thinking yeah. about like folks of different um, abilities too like I'm sure that there's also online platforms too where you can audibly hear it too and you know there's there's I'm sure that there's the resources out there so that it's accessible to everyone and truly and what that entirely means so yeah it's just there's so much to think about I think with this work and it, you know stories like that it's like oh you know you just you just oh it's just come on like come on I know and it gets like I'm sure anyone listening's yelling at their car I was gonna say car phone car speakers or their iPhone <laughs> what era are you in <laughs> and why is someone listening to a podcast on a car phone in my brain yeah. I honestly also, like, like were we even alive when car phones were a thing Anyways, all right. <laughs> yes, Home Alone Two. Get out of here. <laughs> no, but it's it's like such a complicated time that um you know immediately when you say that about people who don't believe it in my mind I want to like lash back at that at those people and be like you're a dumb dumb and or meaner things I would say but I'm like no that's not the way to go about it. But it is also this world of cancel culture and this world of social media that is so damn tricky. And it's what's going to make your job harder as an educator's educator. Can I call you that? Um, yeah. And uh, I want to I scoop back to something here because earlier you were talking about boundaries with your PhD. And when I first asked you to be on this podcast... Uh, we were chatting and you said something that I thought was super insightful and a positive way to send a message about what you were doing. Um, you were talking about taking weekends off from your cell phone, from social media, things like that. And the language you used was uh, right now for you in your process of learning, you need you want to see action from people and less sharing and less uh, distributing, which is basically what happens on social media. And I just thought it was a nice way of like, I would bluntly say it, just because you share a post doesn't mean you're doing anything. Um, And Bridget and I working in the social media world, uh, we're constantly back and forth on our morals on that. And so hearing you say that, I was like, what a nice way to say this isn't working for me right now. So here are my boundaries. Um, I want to know how you're doing with that currently. Are you still on that process? I appreciate that question very much, uh, first of all. And second of all, um, you know, I think what the time away from social media, especially on the weekends, but also technology on the weekends, I'm really trying to limit my my uh, onness, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of being on it <laughs> online <laughs> there it is uh finally found the word uh be online um it's more so too for my holistic health like I find that I'm able to better connect with my partner better connect with 
uh, the land, better connect with um, just myself and taking that space for me to, to really um, take the time I need to recharge because I do a lot of stuff. Um, but in regards to my relationship with still post sharing for uh, awareness, I think there's a place for awareness. I think it is extremely important for folks to be aware of what is happening in the world at large, especially with what is happening in Afghanistan, what is happening still to the Palestinians, uh, what is still happening to our communities, uh, being First Nations, Métis, Inuit peoples uh, in, in various ways, even right now, too. So it's important to be aware. You know, it's important to have that and those channels to go to uh, for direct and truthful, that's key, truthful um, stories being shared. But yeah, I still believe that. I still don't think that's enough for me, uh, for folks to be doing this work. I think folks should be thinking about, you know, again, writing to their MPs, doing more, you know, advocacy in these ways, sharing these conversations, even with their family, their friends, what they're then learning, what they're unlearning too within this uh, experience too, because I think it's also really important to meet yourself where you're at. And I think when mm -hmm. it comes to unlearning, you know, it's it's more so of like revisiting and reconnecting um, the dots of what, how Canada has come to be, where it's at now, why that happened. So it's really taking that time because there wasn't quite founders that found Canada, this land is stolen, right? So we have to understand that. And I think that takes a big process to unlearn because we've been told a narrative for all of our education system. So it's important to recognize that and to go through that process. But again, that's everyone's individual journey. Uh, everyone's at different spaces, places for it too. But it's important to, to meet themselves where they're at. So yeah, post sharing, nah, um, but <laughs> it can also be traumatic, you know, like seeing some things that have been posted, like if, if it's really, you know, insensitive, it can be traumatic for folks seeing it and viewing it. So it's important to also maybe share like content warnings, trigger warnings too, if that's in someone's practice, because that's what it means to be trauma informed as well. So that people have a choice, right? To have a choice to see and what they don't want to see, especially in regards to social media. And I think even with, you know, our small communities of followers and folks who are part of our communities, I don't really like to say followers. I shouldn't have even said that. But it's like these folks who are part of this community alongside with me, I want to ensure that they feel safe still at the same time too. So even if I am to share anything that um, might be, difficult to see. I think it's still important to share uh, content warnings, trigger warnings, depending on the context too, just because I think they also have different levels as well. So being aware of that. Um, but yeah, I think actionizing, action, action, action. I think that's what we're trying to call upon folks to do. Truth, like the calls to action, like action, like do it, like do the work, you know? Not just like post it, do it. So, you know, it's 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 really uh, ensuring folks are, are doing that. And I want to credit you on your, you know, social media presence over the past year. I was looking through it in preparation for the interview and I've just noticed that 
you're very authentic and you're using your story to educate people on your social media. And I think that's, Mary and I talk about that a lot, about authenticity and about how, you know, to to use your own personal experiences to connect with people. And I think you're doing that really well. I'll see. I'll see. I appreciate that. And for anybody who wants to learn more about this, your social media pages are a great resource for them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Even on September 30th, uh, being orange shirt day. Uh, sorry, I don't think I actually explained what this what this pin means and what this day also means too. So, so it's for uh, orange shirt day, and uh, there's a there's a residential school survivor named uh, Phyllis Webstead, and what she shares is her story of attending um, a residential school in BC, and from her experience, she had her orange shirt taken away from her on her first day of attending, so, and then she was put into a uniform, and her hair was cut off, and, you know, like, there was the whole experience, and luckily for her, she didn't have to return the next year, um, so she, she survived, she was one of the lucky ones, so what this day affirms and continues to support like the survivors who shared their stories even with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, acknowledges and commemorates their experiences, but also accountable actions for folks to be taking um, in regards to truth and reconciliation. So that's why I think this is the first time in, in history that this day is now being called the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So it it just because of this campaign, this mission, this accountability to folks to learn and to hear the stories of survivors and to actually affirm their experiences, but also commemorate what they've gone through and what we still continue to go through to this day in regards to injustices and inequities, it just simply affirms our experiences, but also pushes responsibility back onto Canadians, right? What do you want to do to to really, you know, put in place the calls to action? What do you want to do to better support communities? And again, this is an allyship. This is what it means to be a good person. What this means to be a good individual that cares about other people. So that's my relationship to allyship. I don't quite... I don't know. I think there's a time and place for it in, in different experiences, but I don't think this is the place for this context. I really don't. What do you want to be to be a good treaty person? Because when it comes to treaties too, we didn't even talk about treaties yet. Oh my gosh. So I've mentioned treaties, okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I, was going to, I was going to ask when you first brought it up, but I didn't. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. It's good. But again, it is. It's overwhelming, eh, Bridge? Like, just to take a second, we will ask the question. But Bridget, I like my brain is so full right now. Mine too, yeah. And it's incredible. Oh, I want to respect that as well. No, <laughs> but it's a good well. thing. It's good. It's like we've. I've never personally. I've never been able to get this far in this conversation with anyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. thank yeah. you, thank you yeah. so much. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Not everyone, you know, everyone has a different relationship to it. And to me, this was just something that I don't know. I have a weird relationship with this too. Um, really understanding like what my call is 
like to this work too and even if it's okay but I think it is like I feel that it's important for at least me on my journey to to share this knowledge because I think this knowledge is meant to be shared in order for everyone to actually hold it absolutely yeah, is yeah, to hold the responsibility like how mm-hmm. do you how like this is the thing like how do you get people to understand their work their accountability their responsibility if they don't even know how to begin and this is what I really mm-hmm. want to support folks in is to begin this journey this journey is going to look different to so many different people to so many different places because of their own experiences, but also to their own relationality too with this, with these conversations, right? And that's what I mean with like sitting with discomforts. That's what I mean too with sitting with these fears. It's important to have those, but that shouldn't stop or stifle anyone to continue their progression on actually better understanding to, to know what it means to be a good person, but a good person in this kind of relationship. So... Yeah, I want folks to mm-hmm. understand. And because there's responsibilities and what it means to be on treaties, even too, for myself included. Um, I'm on Treaty 7 territory. Um, so as I mentioned before, this is of the Nisidepi of the Blackfoot Confederacy. So some like these these tribes, these councils were the ones to sign Treaty 7. So that, that again, is connecting to Sigsaga, Gena, Bagani, Setina, Iahenakura. So each of these folks, they also have different, um, different uh, communities even within them too. It's very interesting, especially with Setina. Setina is not Blackfoot, they are Dene. And with Stony Nakoda, they're also their own identity, their own nationhood which uh, connects to Ch- Chiniki and, uh, and Wesley. Um, so with these two, sorry, with all these folks signing Treaty 7, which was in Fort, like in, no, in, in Sig Siga, because there's a museum there that, that, that was the place where they all signed Treaty 7. And that's where they made that treaty relationship to what, is crown relations being the government of Canada, but also to the crown. And that's why these folks, they're not Canadians. They're their own nations. They're their own individuals with their own sovereign relationship to the crown. Like that's, that's their relationship. That should be their only relationship. They're not Canadians. So folks don't even know that, you know, like it's just, and and I think that's a really important place that there's other educational folks going through these conversations in education, like Jennifer Tupper, for example, uh, with the University of Alberta as well, holds many spaces and conversations connecting to what treaties mean and how this conversations and these educations can be better supported in pedagogy, uh, which is the practice of theory and um, tech, yeah, practice, theory and practice and education. So how teachers actually do their work, their framework to do their work. Um, and then also within curriculum, there's no talk about this in curriculum. If there is, it's very limited. Like there's, there's barely anything on this in curriculum. But that's also important to share, too, that not every space and place in what we call Canada also has treaties. 
So it's really important to acknowledge that as well. Like say, for example, the unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin people. This is not a treaty space or place. This is simply the Algonquin territory being stolen and being settled by the government. Because <laughs> that's how we know Ottawa to be. That is the space and place of the government. So everyone has a different treaty number or they might not even have a treaty at all. So even knowing that, understanding that too, there is important work for everyone to be doing as well with their responsibilities. And it's knowing what location you're on. It's knowing who are the, the traditional, um, uh, the traditional um, ancestral homelands you are currently residing on and honoring this relationship that you also have the responsibility to do too. So that might mean education. That might mean action, you know, and, and I really do encourage action, action taking, action taking. I think learning can be action taking, but it only gets to a certain level where it's like, okay, you got to be, you know, you got, you got to do more, you got to do more. So it's, you know, it's understanding again where people are at. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot with it. Oh, yeah, what it means to be a good treaty person, like, you know, when these treaties were signed, they, they were in good faith. And they were done through protocol and they were done with ceremony. So at least the, the one on Treaty 7 was done in that way. So I can comfortably say that here at least. But it's difficult because with the government of Canada, with the Crown Relations, when they signed the treaties, it was not in good faith. These lands ended up being stolen. Then the Indian Act got put in place too. And that is why we see the residential schools being key with the Indian Act. Like there were policies created so that folks would get the Indian out of the child. And that was why the residential schools got created because they wanted First Nations, Métis, Inuit people to be assimilated to be Canadian, whatever that might mean. So it's really, again, important. And I encourage everyone to understand even these documents, what treaties are visiting, you know, Blackfoot Crossing, if you're, you know, located on Treaty 7 territory, visiting museums that are authentically um, shared with community. Like even in Manitoba, there's the Human Rights Museum right then in Central and Treaty 1 territory. Like there's so many spaces and places, again, where folks can gain this knowledge and these understandings however I don't always like museums too because they have stolen um, property that do belong to First Nations maintaining Inuit peoples and they coined them as artifacts right these artifacts deserve to be going back to communities so it's just there's so much I'm so like I'm not sorry it's just there's so much there's so don't apologize much. but it, it tells you how how deep it tells you how deep and embedded it is and it's complex and it's always going to be. And I think we treat it as that. And again, I'm just so grateful to have you here today to be, to guide this conversation the best way you can with patience. And even when you're saying, you know, go do research, but mindful of the research you do. And here's things you can, It even for me, I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's reaffirming there's work to be done. And when I have these discussions, I don't have all the facts. And that's like, if I could have anyone listening, take something away you don't always have all the facts. 
but you you need to be able to move forward with that. So yeah, like going to museum is going to be a new journey for me and new experience. But just having that like little bit of you in my ear going like, but just ask why and ask what and and be mindful of the information you're taking in, whether it be from other people, from social media, from museums. I think it's overall a really good message to send to people like grow and learn and try to understand a bit more, question it. But just be mindful that we're, you know, we're always, we're always growing and learning. And again, just thank you so much. Like having you here today is if I'm so, so grateful. And I feel like you just gave me like a whole seminar I should have paid for. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) And like Bridget and I, our brains are full, but we'll go back to edit this and listen. And you're going to have taught us something else again and again, every time we re-listen to this. So um yeah please please know our gratitude is very big we very much appreciate it thank you so much for all sharing all of your knowledge and your story it's been it's been so incredible to learn from you if people wanted to uh follow you on social media to learn more like i said earlier your social media is a great resource for people and i'm sure you link other resources in there as well uh where can they do that what's your handle yeah, so they can follow me on Twitter uh, at Educate the Earth. Oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. Or they can follow me on Instagram too at Madeline.McCracken. Yeah, and we'd love if you could provide us with some educational resources that we can kind of link in the show notes for people who want to learn how to educate themselves properly and, and learn more about everything. Oh, yeah. So that would be lovely. Yes. This has been another episode of Talking 20. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you're listening. Also follow us on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram at Talking 20 Podcast for all of our crazy shenanigans. See you next week. Bye.